by asking you a survey question. Okay. Who, who in the room is a parent? So about half do. Who in the room has a parent? Okay, I think we've covered everybody. I think we, uh, I think we've, we, we all either have one or are one. Um, but I want you to, to picture this position that uh, probably parents in Australia aren't familiar with. Uh, you're, you're a parent of a, of a child uh, or children. Uh, you live in Quezon City in the Philippines. Uh, each morning you go out to see if you can get work knowing that if you work today, your family eats tonight. So you go to the marketplace uh, and you, you make yourself available. Now, there are a lot of people who have a similar circumstances to you. Uh, they're competing for the same jobs that you're competing with and, and many in the developing world survive on day labour. Um, you wait, but there is no work today. There's no one who, who needs a labourer or needs a cleaner or needs domestic help. You wait all day. Uh, you search and you seek, but there is no one. Uh, and as you get to the end of the day, there's a whole lot more at stake than just being disappointing that you didn't get to work today. Because typically on a day where you would get work, you would go home by the markets and you would pick up food and that would be the food that you would take home for your family to prepare for that evening. So as you walk towards home, you see your children looking out and they're waiting with eager expectation. Did Dad get work today? Did Mum find some work today? Uh, they're, they're eager, not just because they want to know that their mum and dad got a job, but they're eager because they want to have something in their bellies tonight. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? That, that, that's a circumstance that people find themselves in. And yet, in our world today, around 400 billion children, sorry, million, not billion, 400 million children and their families find themselves in that position. Uh, living below the poverty line. So living below um, what um, we, we determine is $1.90 a day, which is the absolute base minimum for survival. And that's, that's a tragic situation. And, and it, it's... As you look at those kids, uh, you look at those families, and we've we got a bit of a picture of it in Deuteronomy 24 where, um, where the only thing of value that that person had was their cloak, uh, and their, their cloak was something that they slept in at night and they, uh, it was held as a pledge um, of a debt during the day, but, but even if the debt wasn't repaid, it was given back at night. That was God's intention. Um, it would be easy as you look at the circumstances of those people in our world today to, to think, oh, I think God's forgotten them. I think he doesn't really care about them. I think perhaps they're even unloved by him. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. God cares about all of us. We know that. His word teaches us that. And he cares about a child in need. Uh, He hasn't forgotten them. They're they're not somehow absent in his thinking. Uh, And we know that because we know God's instructions to us of that we should be caring for those who are in need, those who are, who are vulnerable. And children living in poverty are the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. They are the most desperate of the desperate. They are the poorest of the poor. And a child living in those circumstances are dependent and reliant on somebody else to, just for the most basic daily needs that they have. So that's where we find ourselves this morning, living in a world where, um, even in Australia, where when things are hard, um, there's still a safety net. We still have a government that supports us. Uh, we still have uh, a whole lot of social services available to us. Uh, in many countries in the world, that's not the circumstance, though, and the Philippines is one of those. Uh, and so I want to help us to... St- Spend some time this morning, how does God see these kids? How does God see those who are living in poverty? And what, does he, what is God doing about it? And I, th- I think the passage we read this morning from Deuteronomy 24 is actually very helpful in understanding this. If you, if you have your Bibles, please uh, open up to Deuteronomy 24. Um, but let, let me give you a little bit of context uh, before we, we start that. So uh, just up here, here is a picture of uh, uh, looking across the, the Jordan River um, and what was known in the Bible as the Promised Land, uh, so the land of Israel. Now, that's, that's a modern picture of it. Obviously, um, when the Israelites had tramped through the wilderness for 40 years, they didn't get to look at the promised land and there were buildings on it like that. Okay, so just, I couldn't, that they didn't have any photos back then, so I couldn't take one. Um, but the, let me give you a bit of context for Deuteronomy 24. The book of Deuteronomy is a book of instruction. It's a book of instruction to the people of Israel as they were preparing to step into the promised land. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Bible, but the, Bible, the bigger Bible story, the Bible narrative, uh, that um, the Israelites were a family who went into Egypt uh, during a famine. They grew up to be not just a family, but a nation within a nation, uh, a nation that put at risk the sovereignty of Egypt, so the Egyptians thought, and so they enslaved them. Uh, and enslaved them to a point where the, the Israelites had no rights, they had no hope for the future. And in their desperation, they remembered that they were the people of God. And they remembered God's promises and they cried out to him in desperation and said, Lord, please rescue us, redeem us from this, this circumstance. And what was God's response to that? He heard them. He, he rescued them. He took them, he judged Egypt, and he took them out, crossed the Red Sea, crossed on dry land, and then they began a journey for 40 years, walking around the wilderness, 
And that was because of their sinfulness. And then what grew up was a new generation. And as this new generation, the children of those who, who left Egypt, stood ready to go into the promised land as God had, uh, had said to them, this will be a land where you'll live under my kingship and my rule. You'll be my people and you'll be in my place. And as they stood ready to go in, God gave them instructions that would reflect his character, laws that would reflect his character. So when the nations around them looked at the people of Israel, they would reflect on how good their God was. And so the whole of the book of Deuteronomy is a book of instructions before they go in. And when we get to the part in Deuteronomy 24 that we read this morning, what we are looking at is God's instruction of how to care for those in the land who are in need. Now, it might surprise you that there will be those living in poverty in God's promised land. Um, and, and for some of us, you know, you might struggle to understand, how, well, how could that be? Um, God doesn't seem to have any issues with that or any concerns about that. Um, he, there's an expectation that they, there will be people in need in the land the, amongst the people of Israel. And predominantly the people that are identified and the Bible talks to, about uh, the widow and the orphan and the alien or stranger in the land, um, they're people who don't actually own land. Uh, owning land and owning property in, the, in, in Israel was your form of income. And so if you didn't own land, you, didn't ha- you weren't able to easily generate uh, that income. There were other ways, but you, you couldn't do it. And the most vulnerable in that was, was the, the widow, the older lady, um, the orphan, the childless, uh, sorry, the, the parentless child, um, and those who didn't have any, um, uh, any ownership in the land at all, those who were, uh, who'd come to the promised land but who weren't Israelites. Um, and so God gives instructions to the owners of the land who he has provided fully for, Um, about how to care for those in need. And that was what we were reading through. Um, And uh, God's God's instructions to them were what they should leave and what they should keep for themselves. But God really helpfully not only just says what to do, but why to do it. Um, See here in, in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 24... God actually gives them an instruction of, uh, this is why, I'm going to tell you what to do, but I'm actually going to tell you why you should do it. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. God is a redeeming God. He redeems us. Um, We we know ultimately, (laughs) ultimately he has redeemed us Uh, through Jesus from the brokenness and the the death that comes through sin. Um, This was a foreshadowing of that. This was a picture of God's redemptive work all the way back, way before Jesus. And that's what God reminds the people of Israel of. When you were so desperate that all you could do was to cry out to me for help, I heard you. I listened to you. I responded. And so now that you live in this land with plenty, there will be those around you in exactly the same circumstances. You are my people. You respond in that same way. 
And so God gives them instructions, gives them instructions of what to do. If you are threshing your field, if you're chopping your wheat, um, it's not no combined harvesters in those days, it was all done by hand. You, you cut, you pick it up and you take it. Uh, you'll, you'll leave some on the ground. There will be some left behind. Do not go back and pick that up. That is not yours. It does not belong to you, says God. If you're picking grapes or you're picking olives from your trees, you're going to miss some. Don't go back and dig through the, the bushes and find the ones that you missed and cut those off. They are not yours. Do not go back a second time. They are my provision, says God, for those in Israel who are in need so that they can confidently walk into a field that's been threshed, knowing that they can pick up the food that they need for survival and take it with them, knowing that they can take the olives, knowing that they can take the grapes, knowing that that is God's provision for them, knowing that they have a God who loves them and cares about them. What a great picture. What a great picture of God's character and God's provision for the people of Israel, for those who are desperately in need. Sadly, though, we know that that didn't happen. Uh, we know that it may, it may have happened at the beginning, but, but many in, the, in Israel um, may have obeyed that, but it was under obligation. It was under a sense of duty, and uh, that's, that's something that you can never sustain that obligation or that duty. And so over time, the people who were in the most desperate need in Israel weren't cared for. They, they weren't treated with justice. And God condemns the people of Israel for that. He, he condemns them for rejecting him and rejecting his character, rejecting his purposes, uh, for, for chasing after other gods uh, and he condemns them for not showing justice to the oppressed because that's God's purpose and his character to show compassion and grace and justice all together that's God's purpose but because that's God's purpose because that's his character he's not satisfied with just leaving that um, the, the people in Israel and their judgment as some kind of a, a failed experiment. Because God always had a bigger plan and a bigger purpose and the, re, the redeeming of Israel out of Egypt was, a, was a, just a hint of that. The living in, in the promised land was a hint of that. God's bigger purpose when he would ultimately redeem the whole of the world. And we see the beginnings of that in the prophet Ezekiel. When prophet Ezekiel talks about the change that would happen in people to change them from being uh, those who kept God's law out of duty or out of compulsion uh, to people who were willingly and lovingly embraced God's law but in, embraced it because it lived within them this is what what the prophet ezekiel said uh, he said god's going to change you he's going to take that old law and covenant of law and remove that and give a covenant of grace 
where your hearts are completely changed. This is what he said. I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. This is God speaking. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and carefully obey my ordinances. God's wonderful work in us. And we know what Ezekiel was talking about here. He was talking about Jesus. He was talking about Jesus coming and that what Jesus coming would do, that it would change us from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. It would change us from being broken to being declared righteous. It would change us from being followers of God through compulsion to being children of God who shared his character. And so the things that God loves, we love. The things that God hates, we hate. The things that God pours his mercy out on, we pour our mercy out on. And so uh, God's heart for those who are um, disadvantaged and those uh, who are vulnerable becomes our heart. And as the children of God, we see children around us in our world in desperate need and we don't ignore them. We don't say, that's terrible, I hope somebody fixes it. Our hearts break and our actions demonstrate that we share God's character and God's purpose. Um, I was in the Philippines a year or so ago pre-COVID, when we were actually allowed to travel. Um, and I met this little girl, uh, not little, well, she is little, because uh, I'm not very tall. Uh, and her name is Hannah. Uh, and Hannah's circumstances were that, um, tragically, her mum, when she was three years old, got very sick and died as a result of that illness. Um, Hannah never knew her dad. Never knew him. And so at the age of three, Hannah finds herself as an orphan um, and her, her aunt, um, out of, of kind of family loyalty and uh, obligation, took her to live uh, with, with her, um, but her, her aunt was living in poverty as well. Um, and so the, 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 she was in a dire position. Um, uh, but she lived down the road from a church that... Um, uh, reached out to kids and the families in the community and ran a compassion program, still runs a compassion program, um, and, uh, and they invited Hannah to join the compassion program at the local church. Um, now, at the beginning, that was hard, and this is what Hannah said to me. She's, and she, I, I wrote it down because it was, um, uh, I didn't want to forget her words. She said, life as an orphan is lonely and depressing. Uh, you feel like you don't belong and there are times you feel like no one would miss you if you were dead. Um, Hannah, Hannah couldn't see a future for herself. Uh, but that changed slowly at first uh, and progressively over time as uh, the members of her local church just, just poured their love into her um, and, and cared for her. 
And this is, this is what she said. You can see it up here. Um, As people loved and cared for me, I learnt that God's love for me is greater than my love for myself. Does God, has God forgotten the poor? No. No. How does God show his love for those who are in need and poor? He does it through his people. That's how, that's how God shows his love for the poor. Uh, you'll see that Hannah's wearing a blue t-shirt there and you might see that some people behind her have a blue t-shirt on as well. Um, Hannah now works at the same centre that um, she, she went to as a little girl. Uh, she's having a wonderful impact on other little girls. Um, not only uh, teaching and helping them to, to have confidence and to grow and to be healthy, but most importantly, teaching them that Jesus can be both their saviour and their friend and giving them a hope that is a hope eternally, a living hope that won't perish or spoil or fade like the other hopes that we have in this world. So for the people of Israel, they were told to remember Egypt, remember God's goodness there. For us, it's remember Jesus or reside in Jesus because what Jesus has done for us in rescuing and redeeming us is what he calls us to do as we witness to people around us. Uh, that's, that's our motivation, but not just our motivation, it's our heart because we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit because we have hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone. Uh, we had read for us earlier um, a passage from 1 John 3, 16 and 17. Not John 3, 16 and 17. It's a very famous passage. Uh, same author and, in fact, the same theme. God's incredible love for us in that he didn't hold back his own son from us. But 1 John 3 goes a little bit further and talks about how we respond, therefore, in that. Um, and... Uh, just, just this part of the verse, uh, verses 16 and 17. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What does that look like? How do, how do we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters? If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in action and in truth. We, we do see our brothers and sisters in need. Uh, our brothers and sisters in the church in the Philippines, you, you wonderfully partner with them as a church, uh, but they are, there is so much for them to do. There are so many children that they are trying to reach uh, just in their local community. They're barely scratching the surface. And uh, I, I brought with me today profiles of children who are from exactly that same region, uh, they, the, from the, the same region and the same churches that you partner with, the only difference between the children whose profiles are just on the table at the back there and the ones that you sponsor as a church is that these kids don't yet have a sponsor. And so I'm asking you today, 
if today will be the day that they do get a sponsor and it will be from someone here in the room. That would be great. Uh, I'd love you to come and just chat with me about that. Chat with me about um, what that looks like and, and the impact of that, how much it costs, uh, whether maybe there's two, two people could do it together if you, know, you can't afford to do it on your own. Um, what a wonderful gift to give to a child for them to know that somebody in Australia cares enough about them and their circumstances to, to be able to sponsor them. Um, I'm just going to zip past. This is Eunice today, by the way. Uh, that video you saw earlier, uh, she was 17 when that was taken. This is her on her 21st birthday. <laughs> she had to do a speech on her 21st birthday, not a birthday speech. Unfortunately for Eunice, she was speaking at a dinner with a whole lot of random people like me at it. Um, this is what she said. One of the things she said, um, what poverty really is, as for me, it's difficult to explain. Perhaps poverty is how you negatively perceive and live your life. Poverty is what motivated me and my family, though, to fully encounter God. If it weren't for poverty, would we even think about God? Poverty is what makes us more trusting and dependent on him and to have a wise perspective and perseverance in life. We always think poverty is bad. And there are terrible things about poverty. But if poverty makes you cry out to God, that's a good thing. That's God working for good in terrible circumstances. And God promises he works for good. Um, I want to finish uh, with a, another story of a little girl called Asti. Uh, Asti's not from the Philippines, but she's from Indonesia. And I guess one of the questions I, I'm often asked is, does sponsoring a child really make a difference in their life? Like, is the family just go, yeah, okay, thanks, we appreciate that. Uh, or does it have a real impact? Uh, we had the privilege of um, being um, at Asti's house on the day that she found out that she had a sponsor. Uh, it's wonderful just to see just a very brief thing that, that we get to see um, the impact that it had. So I'm going to show you that video and then I'm going to pray and finish. Thank you. Tuhan akan memberikan yang terbaik buat keluarga ini. Ada sukacita Asti keluarganya Asti mendapat sponsor dan ini surat dari sponsor yang buat Asti terima kasih banyak bawa anak saya baik saya kasih masuk PPA saya hari ini saya bangga sekali tapi Tuhan yang balas saya tidak mampu balas tapi Tuhan yang balas tidak pernah saya mimpi bahwa sponsornya hati hari ini ada tapi saya bangga sekali sehingga saya jatuh air mata terima kasih banyak
Berlimpah limpah. Mereka, anak-anak itu merasa dekat. What did What did her mum say? Um, I, I I asked for this. I didn't deserve this, but God responded. God works through His people. He works through us. How does God achieve? good things in the face of poverty through his church, caring and loving and being compassionate the way that he is. His people living out his character. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a good God to us. We thank you for um, your, your wonderful compassion and grace that meant that you didn't even hold back your son from us. Lord, we thank you that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we know you and that you live in us. Lord, we pray that we will be vessels of your compassion and goodness in this world and so bring honour and bring glory and thanksgiving to you. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, yeah. I'd seen that video before, so I was okay that time. Um, but it's amazing that the response. I, d- I couldn't happen to notice, and help to notice the mum. Did you notice the mum? You know, just give the daughter a little elbow, sort of sit up straight. Come on, you know, smile. Um, she didn't need to be, didn't need to be encouraged to smile after she found out the news. So pretty amazing. Uh, let me read from one John four. One John four verse uh, 9, so following on from what we read before, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son of the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and has sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now in the next few minutes we're going to be sharing um, a meal together which, which reminds us of that love of God that's demonstrated most fully Uh, when Jesus died on the cross for us. But before we do that, um, we're going to take a quick little break because um, we gather all our families and everyone together. So uh, if you want to stand up and have a stretch for a minute or if you parents, if you want to go and grab your kids from wherever they are, um, someone bang on the window and tell Jono. I just can't get his attention there. Come on. Um, He's got it? All right, he's good. Um, And then we'll come back together again. Okay, kids, go and sit with mum and dad. Be great. Now, I didn't. I, I didn't actually. Um, 
introduce myself before. If you're new today, some of you are, which is wonderful to have you here. My name's Graham. I'm one of the pastors here, so um, I'd, I'd be uh, great to meet you after the service as well. What we're doing in the next few minutes is just sharing a meal together as God's family. Um, uh, parents, it's your responsibility. If you'd like your little one to share it with us, then you're very welcome uh, to do that. Um, as my general rule, as a, as a dad, I've always said if my kids can understand it, then they're welcome to join in. So that's just my rule. Um, what we're doing is nothing magical about what's going on. It's just some juice and it's just some bread. But what it represents is far, far more significant. And what it represents is Jesus' body broken for us. That's the bread. And the, um, the juice is uh, Jesus' blood shed for us. The way we'll do this is that we'll, um, we'll say a few things together. We'll say some prayers together. And then when, we're time, when it comes time to hand out the, um, the elements, then I'll get you just to hold on to it until we've all got the bread and the cup and then we'll all eat and drink together. So uh, if you're a Christian person and you love the Lord Jesus, wherever, whatever denomination you come from, uh, it doesn't really matter. If you're, you love the Lord Jesus, you can eat and drink with us today and please do that. 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 16 and 17 says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, that's us, this church, are many, are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. We share in this together. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26 says, for whenever we eat this bread or drink this cup, so whenever we come together and eat together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so I'm going to take a few moments as we, in a second, we will confess our sins together, but... Uh, let's hear the words of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus where he invites us to come to him and trust in him and find forgiveness in him. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you